So I wondered if you saw this story in the news this week. It was out of Manchester, New Hampshire, about a couple that puts a nativity set in their yard for the last 16 years for the neighborhood to enjoy. But one night, about a week ago, Mary disappeared. And so the couple put this sign in the nativity set. It said, please help. Mary is missing. Joseph doesn't want to be a single dad. (laughs) Poor Joseph. We don't think very highly of him. Guess we think that he couldn't possibly raise a child alone, let alone the child of God, the son of God. Church history, I think, has done Joseph a disservice by magnifying Mary's role in the Christ's birth. We have downplayed, we have ignored Joseph's role, leaving him in the background as just a quiet observer, not a player in the scene. He's not a player at all, actually, right? Because some claim that while Mary went on to have more children, she remained the virgin mother for the rest of her life. (laughs) And I would tell you, that's a strange legend. That's strange. And the Bible in Matthew chapter 1 and in elsewhere implies otherwise that Mary and Joseph go on to have a very normal, a very ordinary household, an ordinary married life. And ordinary is good. In fact, I think, I believe that ordinary often opens up the path or sets the stage for what is exceptional, what is significant. There is a grave marker, a headstone in a cemetery where some of my family members are buried that reads, He was a common man of uncommon character. I think that that's so true in our life, that often it is the ordinary, it is the common, that sets the stage for what is uncommon, for what is significant. We need some stability to just allow the right kind of instability, to create the right kind of instability. And the world of the faith is, in fact, fueled by paradox, two seemingly opposite concepts that are held together in tension. Consider in our text today, Matthew chapter 1, the names that are given to the Christ child. Jesus, twice in our passage, is the name Yeshua or Joshua. And that was a very common name for young Jewish boys in the first century. The name Joshua commemorated Moses' successor who led the people into the promised land. He was the first one to set foot on the soil of the promised land. So in the first century, Josephus, the historian, records 20 different people that he knows that are named Yeshua or Jesus. It was a very common name. But the first chapter of Matthew not only calls this baby Jesus, the first chapter of Matthew also calls this baby Emmanuel. And no first century parent in their right mind would name their child Emmanuel because it means God with us. Can you imagine putting that name on a child? I can't imagine my son that who we believe is such a great athlete, sending him onto the basketball court with the name God with us. We'd be expecting 
three-pointers with every shot or onto the baseball field. We'd be expecting a home run every time. Nobody would name their kid Emmanuel. And yet the description of our Savior is both. It's both Emmanuel and it's Jesus. So it is divine, sacred, and common and familiar together, held together. Joseph is introduced to us in verse 19 of chapter 1 of Matthew, and he is given one descriptor. One word describes Joseph for us, and that is the word righteous. Righteous is a word that I like very much because it means just to set things in order, to put things in order the right way. And in Matthew's setting, this means that Joseph lived by the Jewish law. He lived by what was considered to be God's revealed will. Deuteronomy 20:22 states that what is proper, what is the law, is that a woman who is in Mary's condition would be put to death. She would be stoned. But by the first century, Rabbis had insisted that the death penalty could only be enforced in a situation like Mary's if there were at least two witnesses. Well, as you can imagine, that rarely happened. And so uh, it made stoning an engaged young pregnant woman very infrequent. So Joseph's plan, Joseph's plan is to quietly dismiss her, to quietly dissolve the union And while that's not a foolproof plan for Mary, I mean, who's to tell, who's to know what would happen to Mary, how things would have worked out for her if she had been quietly dismissed. At the very least, we know that Joseph is not willing to take the road of retribution. He's not willing to say to Mary, you humiliated me, so I in turn am going to humiliate you. So I read, the way that I read the Hebrew Bible and understand the people who were living in the first century, Joseph's plan is a righteous plan to quietly dissolve their union, to dismiss her. But what is most important and challenging to me about Joseph is not just that he is righteous, but that he doesn't stop there. That's not where the story ends. He doesn't stop with just a righteous plan. We would never have heard of Joseph. We probably would have gone on to hear about Mary, but we would never have heard about Joseph if he stopped with a righteous plan, if he stopped with just dismissing Mary quietly. Have you ever known someone who thinks that if they follow all the rules, if they get all the boxes checked, If they do things the right way, then that's enough. Well, you know me, and I'm that way. (laughs) So you do know somebody like that. But Joseph is different. Joseph is different from me. He dares to be pushed into God's plan. He is righteous, yes, but he is open also to some disruption. The scripture tells us that when the angel appears to Joseph, he opens his instruction, his words of instruction with these words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid seems to me 
to be the tell of the divine voice. Because not only does the angel say that to Joseph in the Gospel of Matthew, but the angel also says that to Mary in the Gospel of Luke. Do not be afraid. The implication is, in fact, that this could be, that this is a scary scene, but you don't have to be afraid. There's a risk here for Joseph. There's a risk there for Mary. There's something new, but the divine voice says, as best you can, drop your fear because it will not serve you well. This scene in the first chapter of Matthew, is a call to action for Joseph. It's not the angel saying, don't be afraid because in a few minutes I'm going to disappear, I'll be out of here, and things will all be back to normal again. That's not what the angel is saying when the angel says, don't be afraid. But instead, the angel is inviting Joseph to take a risk and to set his fear aside. Are you willing? Are you open To take on this adventure. The angel's words are a little nudge. They're a little push. Do this. Take this intimidating route. Scary, yes. But what does the angel say? The angel quotes Isaiah, Emmanuel. God will be with you. God is with us. So this opening scene in the Gospel of Matthew is a scene of holy disruption. But is it the opening scene? (laughs) We started in verse 18 of chapter 1, and there are 17 verses that come before this scene. Do you know what those 17 verses are? Those 17 verses are genealogy. Maybe you skip over it. You know, genealogy just makes me feel bad about myself as I stumble through the names. So maybe you skip over the genealogy. And it's the lineage in Matthew's gospel through the men in the family. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that's who counted back in the day. The men counted in the first century. Remember, Jesus goes to feed a large crowd. And the disciples count up the people in the crowd. They count up 5,000 men. They don't count the women and the children. So that's who counted, and that's where the lineage travels for Matthew. But it's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, if you look closely, there are five women who are named in Matthew's genealogy that is passed down through the men in the family. Mary is named. Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, is named. Ruth is named. Rahab is named. And Tamar is named. So putting a woman in the family tree is akin to highlighting that branch or bolding that branch in the family tree. Can you imagine just five branches on your Christmas tree lit up? That's what's going on in the lineage in the first chapter in Matthew's gospel. It draws your attention. He wants you to look at those branches of the family tree. If you look at those five branches, you would notice that four of those five are Gentiles. Mary is not, but the other four are. All five of those women are outsiders. All five of those women could be dubbed unclean, and yet they are part of the plan. They are part of God's plan for bringing the Messiah to the world. So I think that Joseph could look at those four previously lit up branches And say, hey, those are all four places of disruption. 
In all four of those instances, a decision was made to incorporate a disruption, to adopt a disruption, to make a disruption a part of God's plan. When at first Judah orders Tamar's death, he later says about Tamar, she is more righteous than I am. When the Israelites are instructed to destroy Jericho and every living person who is in it, Rahab, who is a resident of Jericho, Rahab and her family are brought out and they're spared. Boaz marries Ruth, brings her into his own family. Ruth is a young widow and she's in need and she's far away from her own family. He adopts her. He brings her in. Bathsheba becomes a part of David's household and eventually bears a son named Solomon. There is this choice, I believe, that is put before Joseph. Instead of dismissing the situation quietly, God is asking Joseph, could you make this your own? Could you put your name on this? Verse 20 says, Take Mary as your wife, and you are to name the child. Bring the disruption in, is the angel's instruction to Joseph. Put your righteous name on it. When I was in high school and college, and I would be leaving the house to go somewhere with friends, my dad's parting words were often, Dinah, uphold the family name. It was as if he was saying, don't associate with anything out there that's going to tarnish or bring down your righteous name. (laughs) Do good out there. What is implied in this passage of scripture is almost exactly the opposite. Take your righteous name and put it on something that's down and bring that thing or that person who is down up. You might call this situation in the first chapter of Matthew an adoption, and I think that would be exactly right, to call Joseph an adopted father. Several of the New Testament letters remind those who read uh, the scripture that those who are in Christ are adopted into God's family. We are adopted Our status is one of adoption, one of belonging. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit of God you received does not make you slaves, but the Spirit has brought about your adoption. So we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit testifies that we are, in fact, God's children. It is... um, A big concept, I believe, in the New Testament. This concept of belonging. This concept of adoption. Every one of us belongs. Every one of us is adopted into the family. As Joseph takes the angel up on this plan, up on his plan, then Joseph is just living out on a very minor scale what God is doing for the rest of the world, for all of us, in Jesus, our Savior, bringing us in, adopting us. He's just acting that out in the very first scene. 
it has been suggested that the verses that we looked at today, the verses that Heather read, which are verses 18 through 25, that they are a standalone story, that you could take out those verses of Scripture and not even miss much in the story. No one would miss it because it's never directly referred to again. But I beg to differ. I really like the thought that Joseph is living out one of the biggest truths of the faith. And not only that, that he is showing us the way to live out the faith, the way to be disciples. What if Joseph is a model for discipleship? What if Joseph, the father, is the very first disciple of the son? I believe that that's the case. Matthew's account of the good news, these, very, these eight verses in the first chapter, teach us that we are to remain mindful of God's plan, remain righteous, but also at the same time open to the Spirit's leading. That's the path of a disciple, and that's the path that Joseph chooses. Quiet your fears. Take risks as best you can. Put your stamp of approval, your own good name, on those that the world quietly dismisses. That's the route that Joseph picks. Now, don't tell the people in New Hampshire or my Catholic neighbors down the street. But I think Joseph would be a very good single dad. Would you pray with me? Empowering God, we seek peace during this Advent time. We anticipate the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, God with us, and we ask that peace would settle deep into our hearts. Would you make us reconcilers? Would you make us endorsers? Would you make us adopters of people around us? Allow us to see the good in their lives. And open us up to strange new stories. Strengthen us to bring in those that we would prefer to dismiss. Because we want to be a part of bringing in your kingdom. Put us in place to do your work, Lord. May each of our lives reveal a joyful witness to your grace and your power. Amen.